0: Welcome to the Sencast. My name is Dale Pickles, Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sencast, the special needs podcast. Each week we're going to be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In a world where there's less guidance, less money, more on demand and continual changes, teachers, Senko's, leaders and parents need a way to keep up that fits in with their lives. And the SENCAST is the answer. In this episode, our guest Sarah-Jane Critchley, an author, speaker, consultant and coach, will be talking about sensory issues and their impact on school life. Uh, But before we get started, have you heard of the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference we've been running since 2019 that makes CPD around SEND uh, more affordable and easier to access. It runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch the videos whenever you need to. For more information on the conference visit www.virtualsendconference.com and at the end of the episode I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. This week's show is on how sensory issues can affect school life, whether they are sensory seeking, sensory avoidant, and how schools can make reasonable adjustments. This week, we have one of our regular guests, Sarah-Jane Critchley, from Different Joy Partnership. Sarah-Jane was previously the Programme Manager of the Autism Education Trust, where she commissioned the AET's School Standards and Competency Framework. A key element of this is the section on Enabling Environments, which looks specifically at sensory adjustments. Welcome to the show, Sarah-Jane. Hello. Hello. So, as well as your professional work, you are also the parent of two autistic young adults. I certainly am. With very specific sensory needs, which yes. proved challenging at school.
1: <laughs> and how, and how do you... So, one of the first things that happened to us, Dale, was that when we didn't realise my daughter was autistic at all. So, we've got another podcast that you might want to go and listen to as well about autism and girls. And one of the first indications that we ever had was that she really struggled with school uniform. So there I was in the middle of this hall where you go into the infant school for the first time. Bear in mind this is a child who's been to nursery and you wear what you want in nursery, don't you? And you go to this infant school and it was a very nice, safe, small infant school but they had this uniform that required girls to wear button-up cotton blouses that were checked with labels in the back and a pinafore dress over the top that was actually quite woolly. And so the first indication I had that there might be a bit of a sensory issue going on here was when I found her under the table screaming her head off because she couldn't bear the feel of it. So that was a bit of an indication. I thought, this isn't going entirely well, you know, when they give you the samples to try. And I thought, this is going to be a bit challenging, maybe. So that was when our love for the soft vest first began.
0: Ah, the vest. I'm
1: a lover of a soft vest. <laughs> so it's kind of It solved problems for us. Four years, for absolute years. So it does make a huge, huge difference. And I've done two things today, actually, to remind me of how sensory has an impact on everybody, because it affects every single part of your life. So the first thing I did was I put on some perfume this morning. I hope you're thoroughly appreciative that I put on perfume. I am. It wasn't for you. Sorry, Dale, it was for me, but because I love the smell. And that's kind of because you're either sensory avoidant or sensory seeking, and I love the smell of particular perfumes not others but particular ones
0: how about if you really don't care either way that's what I seem to be
1: then that's fine that's fine for you but you know everybody's different so I put that on and something you might want to try assuming at home that you're not driving at this point is you might like to pick up a piece of paper and you might like to take your shoe off and I want you to scrunch that piece of paper up into a ball and then I want you to put it into your shoe and then put your shoe back on now I'd like you to walk around with that piece of paper underneath your foot for a while and see how it feels.
0: So under the foot, not under in the, the toes. Foot.
1: You could put it in the toes. Go for broke. I mean, go for it. If you really want to experience a full-on sensory thing, you can put it between your toes, but that would mean you'd have to take your sock off as well.
0: I meant like at the end of the day, I wouldn't get my foot in. Under the foot, so actually, you can feel.
1: Underneath the the um, sole arch, of the foot, yeah. the arch of the foot, I think, is more sensitive than between your toes. So if you can put it there and if you can walk around there and then see how effective you are at managing your day whilst you're doing that. I've actually done that in live events, and it's been wonderful because you get occasionally you get people going, what have you done to me? This is ridiculous. It's so uncomfortable. And you can't concentrate. You can't do things can't when you've decisions. got this thing going wrong. You just can't. And we don't. We expect our children at school to be able to cope with all sorts of things because we can't see what's inside their shoe. We can't see what they're experiencing. We're not inside their skin. And so we forget. We don't know. They may not be able to tell us because they might not realise that's what's freaking them out because that's always freaked them out. So we don't know what it is. And they may be reacting based on their sensory issues being absolutely triggered. Okay. So that's your starter for ten. I hope you've put that in your shoe there at home.
0: I haven't had a chance yet. Maybe later. <laughs> sport, sport. <laughs> um, and you've also, you're sound sensitive, personally.
1: Yes, I am.
0: So is that is that based on the volume or is that frequencies? Is it like a chalkboard thing?
1: Oh. Chalkboards were a huge thing, so I'm old enough to remember a chalkboard. lovely listeners, where we did actually have chalkboards and people used to write with chalk on them. And if you write with chalk on a chalkboard, if you've got one at home, it's really good for as no T tip. If you've got somebody who's got um, processing issues in terms of writing, you can do them a double-sided chalkboard and they get physical feedback from the action of the chalk on the board. Sorry, that's a little top tip. Um, but actually just the feel and the sound of that is actually quite a thing. Um, some people can't bear that. There are some autistic people who can't stand the sound of pencil on paper, because pencils sound much louder than pens. Yeah, Gel pens make no sound. Ballpoints usually make less sound, but sometimes the rollerball vibrates, and some people can hear that. Um, hearing the sound of nails down a chalkboard would send me running for the hills.
0: So it's the frequent, rather than how loud it is. It's certain frequencies you're sensitive to. Particular noises,
1: particular noises. And I did have this problem. And if my mother's listening, I apologise right now. I'm probably going to over disclose, but my lovely father for years was a bit of a loud chewer, and I have a thing called misophonia. I can't bear the sound of chewing. I have to have background in the sound, sound in the background. Otherwise, I I can't cope with it. I want it. Hit somebody or run. So it's fight or flight. That's the two things that happen. So anybody who crunches an apple next to my ear is asking for me either to curl up my toes as hard as I can so that I don't actually do something or I'll have to
0: leave. Catherine uh, in our sales team here has the same issue. Oh, it's terrible. It's not too bad. She's eating. So she can eat crisps. Oh, yeah. I can crunch things. And as long as you're eating crisps while she's eating crisps, that's fine. Yeah. But no eating crisps.
1: Solo crisp eating in the room is not a thing that can happen. No, yes. And at home, we have to have music on in the background when we eat. We can't have a quiet room. And it's worse with people you know better because you're not masking and you're not yes. used to masking and you're not prepared to do that. And so your, your tolerance level gets hit faster. But I also find on trains, it's a complete nightmare. So
0: I was about to say... When you're on the train or in a restaurant?
1: Restaurants are fine because there's usually a lot of background noise. Yes. But on a train, if somebody in the seat behind me, where the sound is funnelled round next to the window, if they open a packet of crisps, I'm diving for my headphones. They're in crisps I have to already. Do. It's just horrific. It's horrific. <laughs> <laughs> if they do crisps and an apple, we're going two for three, one more and I'll be over the seat or leaving the
0: carriage. And it's, it's, it's quite hard to filter out your senses, isn't it? Yeah. It so really it's, it's not like you can go, oh, I'll just ignore that crisp eating and carry on with my no. day. Or if you see someone in a really bad shirt, you can't yes. even be attracted to that shirt from then on and it's in your mind. Yes. I like bad shirts.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not... Shirts don't do it for me other than just thinking, why did you make that choice? That, <laughs> but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> but there are some real advantages as well. So I'm going to give you a, a bit of a positive. So as well as wanting to murder people who come anywhere near me with an apple... I can actually pick out some very specific bits of music. So I'm a choir singer. I sing alto. So those of you who like a nice, deep alto voice, this is the best I can do. Sorry, that's me trying. Um, I can pick out that line of music because I can listen for those patterns and I can do that, whereas some other people might not be able to do that at all. And it's not easy to pick those out.
0: I thought Um, you were going to say something with your hearing while people eat. You can recognise if they need a filling or not, but not that type of hearing.
1: No. No. No, I was Actually going musical. somewhere totally different. I could recognise that they might need medical help very shortly if they don't move away, but no, I can't, no. <laughs> I've made him laugh now.
0: Yeah. Um, so, how common are sensory issues?
1: Very. They're very, very common, especially in autism. Uh, sensory issues do happen to people who aren't autistic. So, there are people who have sensory processing disorders who can experience different sensory profiles. But the vast majority of autistic people experience totally different sensory responses so that can be under or over sensitive and it can be different from one situation to the next so i've got this wonderful example when my daughter who is autistic who's also sound sensitive had a bit of a problem in nursery you remember those nursery classes where they do music that's air quotes listeners music where they basically get every toddler to hit something or bang something or shake something all at the same time this horrific cacophony of noise happened well she would exit stage right and she'd be in the toilet singing happily because of course the acoustics there are fantastic and so of course they came to me and said well of course she's not accessing the curriculum There's me thinking that's not a curriculum that's torture and for her that was torture And at that stage, we didn't even know she was autistic. We just thought that's a perfectly natural reaction to an
0: unbearable situation. Yes. I don't know how teachers learn to accept that. It's like, I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to get all the children to make lots of horrible noise. (laughs) Yes. Something's going on in their life.
1: And there are several (laughs) concerts that we've been to where you really recognise and value the contribution that each individual child is making at the same time as wishing that you had noise-defending earphones on.
0: Yes, my uh, daughter, her whole class did a recorder assembly.
1: <gasps> Ooh, And recorders. you've all
0: just heard that noise, that shriek, that... Ooh. What was amazing, it was year four, there was none of that. Couldn't believe it. There was no shrieky. Wow. It was quite, this is all right. I was expecting to come here and be tortured, but it's going all right.
1: Do you know what really surprised me? The recorder's a beautiful instrument. There's some amazing medieval music and very early music that's based on that sort of woodwind and that sort of early... And it just sounds gorgeous. But that's a world away from the recorder learning group. And it's important for those of us who want to do music to recognise that where you start in that appalling sound isn't what happens at the end. I gave up the violin because it always sounded like a cat being murdered and I just couldn't cope with that many animals being injured in my presence. (laughs)
0: So we've talked about sort of sensory issues with autism, and it's a bigger thing. But well, if how might a sensory issue show itself? Mm-hmm. So obviously you've got the running away into the toilet if it's an auditory thing. Yep. What else might there be?
1: So it comes down to the traditional fight, flight, or freeze. So some people will just react by lashing out verbally or physically. So if you imagine that somebody comes up right behind you and goes, "Boo!" right in behind you. Some people will jump, other people will clonk them, and another group of people will just sit there and go, ah, and freeze, and not move at all. It's the Bambi response. You know how fawns will actually go very still when there's a predator around? It's that. So fight, flight, or freeze.
0: It's like those goats. Have you seen those goats? The baby goats? Not the baby goats. It's a specific breed of goat that when they get frightened they freeze solid (laughs) and what the goat herders used to do is they used to have one of those with their flock yeah or herd of sheep and or goats they had the valuable ones would run away and this one which they didn't really care about would freeze no and be eaten by the wolves The
1: sacrificial goat yes
0: and it's one of these ones which would freeze and you see people on YouTube if you go freeze goat (laughs) you see people run up to a goat and scream and this goat goat just freezes and falls over Oh. So it meant the prized goats, which had value and gave all the milk, were looked after. And this poor sacrificial goat got eaten.
1: But it's an evolutionary advantage. If you stay hidden, if you're hiding, you know, you're hiding, you're masking, you're not drawing attention to yourself. That's the freeze response. But then what happens often afterwards is that that will then have an impact later. And it's the impact later that causes the damage.
0: So it's really easy for us to imagine sound impacting us. Yep. And there's jump the noise, the lovely recorders. How do other senses, Mm. what other senses would make us feel that way?
1: So let's talk sight. You mentioned the appalling shirt. So apart from being a fashion faux pas, things like lights. Often in schools you'll find that there are fluorescent lights. Fluorescent lights have a huge problem in that they flicker and lots of autistic people are very sensitive to the frequency of that light and the frequency can cause them Severe problems. So it can make them feel really anxious. And in some cases, it provokes migraine. So in the same way that if you're epileptic, you can respond to frequencies of light. If you're autistic, you'll often respond to frequencies of light. So natural light is always better. And being somewhere where you're not affected by that or wearing um, either sunglasses or a shade or a peaked cap. I say peaked cap. That's probably the wrong thing. You know, like both yeah. baseball cap type thing. Um, if it was a really... Very selective school. You could have a very nice school cap. Those those would do just yeah. as well. Or one of those really nice little boaters that some gorgeous infant schools have. Um,
0: you could wear a bonnet if you were a girl.
1: <laughs> no, we're not talking Jane Eyre, but you know, let's go a bit, bit into the 21st century now. I
0: think a lot of people think of that flickering lights. I think flickering epilepsy. I haven't got any of that, I'll leave it. But actually, yeah, with autism, it can affect migraines yep, and absolutely. so many other things.
1: Absolutely. So that's sight. Give me another sense smell. Mm. Ever been past a toilet that hasn't been recently cleaned?
0: I also um I drive up the M6 regularly, which I feel is the smelliest motorway in the world. Really? M6.
1: What sort of smell?
0: Cow fields.
1: Oh, agriculture. agriculture. You've got a problem with
0: agriculture. Not generally, it just seems the M6 is the worst for it between Birmingham and Manchester. Okay. Not so bad recently actually. But it used to be a uh, miles at a time just trying not to breathe
1: <laughs> That's, yes trying not to breathe isn't generally um Recognise it's a good thing. While driving. So we prefer people to breathe and breathing deeply is better than breathing shallowly. Now that's actually a very serious point. So if you're struggling to breathe something in and you don't feel safe and there's a smell that you can't cope with and you're taking, you take shallower breaths, when you take shallower breaths you're far more likely to become anxious, you're far more likely to hyperventilate, you're far more likely to feel dizzy and to feel sick and to pass out. That's not good for you. And it's very, very bad for your heart and for your general well being. Deep breaths is good for calming. You don't want to breathe in something if it smells appalling.
0: Deep breath, hold it.
1: <laughs> well, you know, and then let go. Yes. <laughs> and then let go. So there is something very important about smell. So there's an example I'd mentioned that i like perfume. Someone I worked with once had a real problem as an autistic adult male, um, a lovely, lovely guy. There's a doctor. So he's very, very highly qualified. Worked at the UN, um, travelled out, sorry, EU, worked out and travelled over to Bruges. Very competent, very capable. Um, But the minute he smelt Chanel number five, it turned him off like a light switch. And he just had a complete shutdown or he ran. And on one occasion, he was in a meeting with us and he actually ran out into Euston Road. And he was lucky that at that particular time there was nothing coming. But his flight response was so provoked by this perfume, he just had to leave. And it's not a, oh God, this feels awful, I've got to get out of this. It is the limbic brain kicking off and responding immediately to an existential threat. It is the Tyrannosaurus Rex bearing down on you from the scenery. You're out of there. You don't have time to think about it. You're out of there.
0: I just can't think of that being affected like that by a smell.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And there's, smells in schools are a real thing. Yeah. They're a real thing. Um, smells in teenagers' bedrooms are a real thing. Anyone who's ever had a teenage boy would recognise that that's a thing. And it's important to point out that sometimes we have differential smell reactions to other people. So some people will smell in ways that we don't find easy to cope with. And we often don't recognise our own smell or are not sensitive to our own smell. So there may be a thing that you may have someone who's got a hygiene issue and you need to have a quiet word with them about their hygiene issue. They may be sensitive to the fact that you've had something to eat or you're wearing a perfume that they don't like and can't cope with, but they may be oblivious to their own smell because that's their smell, so they're habituated to that. That's what they're used to. But there's a a really good example that an amazing professional i worked with, a fantastic advisory school teacher, was working with this young man And was helping him invigilate for one of his exams. And he was just reacting really strangely when she was doing this. And she couldn't work out why he wasn't focusing on the exams. They prepared him for it. They told him what the questions were going to be structured like. What sort of things might happen. Um, And he was just totally freaked. And it turned out that she'd had a curry the night before and she smelled of garlic. And the garlic was just completely freaking him out. He could not cope with that. And that was enough to ruin his exam.
0: Wow. One, one smell which gets me is the smell of a science lab.
1: Oh, yes.
0: That's when you're at school, when you're in the secondary department, you go to the science there's that smell. Yep. I don't know what it is, but it's got a smell. Literally, that would give me a migraine at school. Uh, when I was one of my years at secondary school, we yeah. had double science followed by another science. Guaranteed by the end of that day, I had a migraine. Ooh. And I was at college. I never went to science block. Went to science block, had that smell. Sure enough, end of that day, had a migraine.
1: Science teachers might be able to tell us which one. Yes, it might well be sulfur, because that's often quite just a... That I just that smell.
0: I get a migraine. I don't know if it's the smell, the chemical causes mm. the migraine, or something going on in my head, not coping with it gives me the migraine
1: yeah really interestingly you can also use that for benefits so we talked about how sound is a benefit for me in some situations and not in others for smell you can use smell to help you to relax so there are some smells that are really relaxing that can be very personal but often lavender is a brilliant one so if you've got someone who's struggling with stress and anxiety and struggling with sleep lavender is one of the best things to use as an essential oil you can pick it up very cheaply from boots over the counter you know it's just one of the things you can pick up and buy, just sprinkle onto the pillow or put in a bath. It's fab stuff. <laughs>
0: um, what other senses? Give me another one. Uh, taste. Taste.
1: Right, I would like you to imagine for the moment that you've just put a chocolate into your mouth. Tell me what it feels like.
0: It's dairy milk. hmm So it's a smooth rectangular block. Mm-hmm. Slowly melting. Yes. Getting the uh, creamy chocolate around my mouth. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how far I should go with this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Describe the taste.
0: Um, Smooth, creamy, very slight, that chocolate slight bitterness, but Mm -hmm. mainly the smooth. I can't help but bite it.
1: So what there's a lot going on there, isn't there? So there's the shape, yep, there's the texture, there's the mouth feel, so how that is when it actually enters your mouth, and then there's the actual flavor and which bits that that relates to, and often in lots of people have different responses to that, so there's a thing about mouth feel there's a whole food science around it and how you get things that you want to eat. But lots of people have trouble with particular types of food because they don't conform to what they're able to cope with. So some people will only cope with things that are very crunchy. And crunchy things can be quite calming. So the physical action of having to crunch or chew can be quite calming. Um, And trying to layer those different things together means that you can either, that can be something you really love, or that can be something that's highly aversive for you, that you really, really don't like
0: Seeds in tomatoes
1: Ooh
0: Yeah ooh Don't like that
1: Now the squish in tomatoes I have a problem with I'm oversharing again But that kind of When you bite into it And it explodes in your mouth And it's just No uh. no.
0: So I can do tomato in cooking Yeah Tomato on a pizza
1: They're better for you cooking. anyway Or tomato, tomato. <laughs> You don't no. need them raw no. So I mean there are, there are things that That's a texture thing as well And the I'm sensory thing it's a, it's a fight or flight yeah. thing isn't it It's I'm a fight or flight but, so it, but they're actually better for you cooked anyway. So don't, don't worry. They're better. The lycopenes, I think it's called, actually um, increase when you cook them. So they're much better for you cooked than raw. Stick to that. Worth knowing. Top tip. So if you think about that, taste can be a massive issue. It can be a massive issue. And that affects your diet. And your diet affects where you get your energy. And your energy affects everything so if you're only ever eating the same sorts of things you have a very restricted diet partly because of the way that it feels in your mouth and partly because of the way it tastes and you're sensitive to that that has a really big impact
0: that's a very big thing with autism yeah my sister has to buy Heinz uh, ketchup with chili yeah 15 bottles at a time to make (laughs) sure she never runs out
1: because you can't get it all the time. No. And it has to be Heinz, because somebody else's ketchup is not the same.
0: And it has to be his bottle. Yeah. So you can't have a bottle somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's got to be his bottle. So there's a lot of, but yeah, his food, chicken nuggets with breadcrumbs, yep. batter, lots of rules. So it fits, and it conforms, and it makes him comfortable
1: Yeah, and happy. absolutely. It's a safety thing. So it's appealing to a part of your brain that isn't logical. And when you understand these things, you can start to make accommodations for them, and you can start to use them as a benefit, not to
0: fight them. So touch is quite an obvious one, sensory. Yes,
1: touch is a good one.
0: Deep touch is the light touch. There are various things around it.
1: Absolutely. So let's think about touch. In schools, touch can be an issue, can't it? Yes. So we've talked about uniforms. There's a big thing about uniforms and about them being sensory welcoming. There are now um, the types of uniform that you can get and different brands that do not have labels. Labels mm. are a big thing, Labels are scratchy and labels are unpleasant. So if you look for uniform, are we allowed to mention trademarks? We're I not am. the BBC. I, we I, are, I, aren't we? I don't care. <laughs> okay. So m <M&S>, and <laughs> we love m and M&S have a whole range of things where they just print Onto the clothing. Yep. Lots of other manufacturers now are doing this as well. I think Gap also does the same with lots of their stuff. Yes, they do. But they're a lot more expensive. Um, and because it's just printed there's no label that's scratchy there's no label that's itchy there's no label that's going to cause any problem now that's more of an issue when you get onto school uniforms because they have to be bought from a single supplier so please if you are looking at changing your uniform now and you are a school or you're a free school that's setting up please think about where you're getting them from and whether they're sensory friendly because you have choices about what you choose to yeah. get people to buy So that's a big thing. So we talked about uniform. If we talk about touch, some people need firm pressure to feel safe. So if you are feeling really anxious, one of the things that we often do in autism and works for everybody is actually having something quite heavy. So a heavy backpack, although it's not good for your back to have all the time, can help to calm and to ground people. So, that is a really good thing to use. But not everybody likes deep pressure. Temple Grandin, who's possibly the most famous autistic person in the world, developed a squeezing box. So, she developed a box that was actually padded that would give her that really strong hug. But there are other ways of doing it. So, um, lots of schools now, if you look at sportswear, they have compression clothing. Yep. So, that gives you the same feeling. And you can get it from mainstream sports outlets, none of whom I will mention because I not that good at team sports but they're really nice and they give you that same feeling and there are people who need to wear things like hoodies and want to wear tight clothing so that they know where their body finishes and the rest of the world begins
0: and you also have stuff like the weighted blankets yep and I don't know if they're weighted but it's like a a sheet fitted to the bed which they slide in yeah Um, and I sat this was a couple of years ago spacecraft yes they um, I was at the bet show so, if you've not been to the bet show, it's a big technology show, really busy, forty thousand people over four days and I was on their stand, and she said, "I'll oh, just sit in that chair and it's uh sat it had wings, weighted wings oh. and she put me in this and folded it over me and, yeah. I was, and i initially I felt I just look a bit odd, yeah and as I started having this conversation five minutes later, I suddenly realized I was so relaxed and it <laughs> I suddenly went in a really busy hall there's lots going on and i feel like i'm in bed mm. and it was amazing to actually experience how that affected me
1: yeah it was amazing it make a
0: huge difference i then if looked need, up how much they were
1: and went uh oh, maybe not stay <laughs> i mean you can get jackets that are inflatable that give you that deep pressure so they yeah. look totally like anybody else's but they're very subtle And that way they can provide deep pressure without anybody else having to be involved. So there's no safeguarding issues. It's controlled by the individual, so it's totally at their control. So they have it when they need it. They don't have it when they don't. And they're not going to stand out. So it's a win-win-win on all fronts. We like that one. One of the other things you really need to think about in touch is the people who are sensitive to light touch. One of the schools I worked with at one point, fantastic school, um, has um, a council, a youth council, for the whole of the school. Um, I'm just wondering if I should name-check it. I probably shouldn't, just in case. But they did a, a wonderful, wonderful thing, and they asked their autistic students what made life really difficult for them in the school, because they've got an autism resource base there. And they said that the corridors were the worst place for them. And it was because there were people who would just brush up against them. So it's crowded, and they got nudged and touched. And if you're very sensitive to touch, and somebody just very gently touches you, that can feel like a slap. And because you're that sensitive, you're reacting as if someone slapped you, not as if they've just brushed against you. So that can make a difference in terms of schools. What you can do that will help is to allow them to travel at times that are less busy. So you can let them out of class five minutes earlier, You can send them to the next one five minutes earlier. You know, give them that yeah. space and time to do that. Because you may not be able to make your building significantly bigger just by clicking your fingers, if only right. it were that simple.
0: And then you've also got the children who don't like being touched. And that's yep. often more of an anxiety mm-hmm. thing, but they might be really comfortable. You A TA may walk up um, and to reassure them, they put their hand on their shoulder oh. and that just goes so wrong.
1: Yes. And I actually think unwanted touch is a big issue anyway. And I think we generally shouldn't be touching people unless they've given permission. There is a huge thing about um, proximal space. So, The amount of proximity that you allow, that you need, if you have autistic pupils in your school or you have people who've got sensory issues, they need more space to feel safe. And that makes a huge difference. Um, And there was a wonderful school that was actually built that allowed more space for people. So there is a ratio that you have when you're building schools. That's how much space you get per pupil. Um, If you have any choice, make it bigger. (laughs) And if you have any choice, make the corridors bigger. And there's some really nice research that said straight corridors with lots of people in are bad, but corridors that allow people to move with curves are much more autism-friendly and so sensory-friendly because you're not going to bump into things. Lots of autistic people have issues with dyspraxia and coordination. If you haven't got sharp things to bump into, you're not going to get
0: hurt as much. And some schools do one-way systems, which I suppose helps because you're with the flow rather than bumped with people going the other way.
1: Absolutely, and that's a really important point. So the way that you organise the space that you have for flow in terms of a logical way isn't just a sensory issue, it's also a common sense and practical issue. And it just makes life easier for everybody.
0: Um, So, you've got a number here on how many senses there are.
1: I have. I'm going to test you. So how many senses do you think
0: we've got, Dale? Um, Sight, sound. Yep. Taste. Yes. Smell. Yes. Touch. Yes. And then balance. Oh, he's good. Uh, hot and cold. Mm, I'll try and work out how that is fits touch, in. Touch,
1: I think. So that's, that's to yes, do that's, with that's, touch and to do with things that come through your skin.
0: Um, I'm struggling. Would be really obvious, but I'm struggling. No, I
1: think you didn't. You got to six. That's good. So most people know about five. We talk about five all the time. in The five senses that that everybody I think understands. So you mentioned balance. Yep. That's vestibular. So that's how well you can balance. If you can stand on one leg, you know how you know. I just remember some others. If you're the right way.
0: You said a big word, and that made me think of some other big
1: words. Oh, oh,
0: that's deceptive.
1: Yeah, we'll come there in a second. Oh, Sound good. So. One of the issues that lots and lots of people have is around balance. Anybody who's dyspraxic will almost certainly have an issue with balance because it's around um, having coordination in your body. It's how to manage that. And that can be a huge issue. My lovely daughter, this floor here in the studio that we're in right now is flat, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, she'd fall over it. There's, there's just no way, you know. It's what we always used to call clumsy child syndrome. So, you know, if there is a table to be bumped into, a step to be tripped over, a foot to be tripped over, hers or anybody else's, she would do that. So, balance is a huge thing. And can we just talk PE for a moment? Oh, boy. So, if you have vestibular issues, then managing PE can be really, really challenging. And one of the things that the school did do to help her was that they had this thing called gym club and they sent any child who was coordination challenged to this gym club every morning before school. Um, I'm not sure it actually had any impact on her at all other than getting her to do something physical first thing in the morning which is probably not a bad thing um, but generally any team game that involves throwing and catching is going to be a bit of a challenge. Anything that involves balancing standing on one foot like running or well, anything really. She was brilliant at the tug of war. So <laughs> she was absolutely brilliant at the tug of war. So we've done lots of work on grounding and she's very good at grounding herself and her team won the tug of war. It's the only thing she's ever won in, in sport. I think she managed to get out of all of the other sports days by having in a music exam or something else on the same day. But, good parenting. Vestibular so is a thing. So you were going to mention another long word? Um, you said beginning with? Proproceptive. That's the one. Well done, you're on seven. I've got got the
0: other one now as well.
1: He's good. Oh, okay.
0: I've even Um, learned how to say it because I was saying it wrong.
1: Okay, so let's talk about proprioception. So proprioception is where your body is in space and time. So it's how you know that you finish somewhere and the world starts somewhere else. And that can be a really big issue for autistic people. And that's why you often have issues around personal space. So knowing what that level should be. Um, and there's this, often we've said to autistic people, well, you should be an arm's length away from people. You try that on the tube. It doesn't work. You say, excuse me, you are much closer than an arm's space away. And the other thing that you would sometimes see is children going around looking like a Dalek in the playground because they're trying to work out how far they should be from everybody else. Um, so you have to teach it in a way that's a little more um, subtle than that really, to make it work.
0: Someone explained that to me. That was the, the idea is if you close your eyes, how do you know where your hands are?
1: Yes. That is a brilliant way of describing it. I like that. And some people have to wear gloves. Because yeah. there was somebody who was telling me that if they didn't wear gloves, they felt like their fingers were disappearing off into space. Okay. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be if you don't know that you haven't dissolved into the world around you and you don't know where you stop and everything else begins?
0: It's like the touch. You're closing your eyes and touching your nose.
1: Yeah, I would do that, but I'm going to knock the. Hold on.
0: How, how do you? If you close your eyes, how do you know where your fingers are and your nose are? And that's that sense, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Luckily, I've, I think I've managed it. Don't try this while you're driving, please. We don't want you to um, crash.
0: And I suppose, yeah, it's for most people that's quite an easy thing. Not mm. For everyone, especially after a few drinks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, is you you take it for granted that everyone can do that and everyone has that same expecta- same ability and understanding that you, when you sit there and take it apart, it's really hard to comprehend.
1: It is. And it's particularly difficult because if you, if you have a sensory issue, whatever the sensory issue is, you've probably had it all of your life. So if somebody came to you and said, have you got any sensory issues, Dale? You might entirely say, actually, no. What are you talking about? Because... That has always been your experience. So even though as practitioners and as teachers and as parents, we want to say, look, I know there's something going on here and I'm wanting to work out what it is. It, it's not easy always to uncover what that is. So it takes a bit of detective work to work out what it is. So if somebody is actually pulling at the back of their shirt... Then it's probably an indication. If they're squirming away from a label, it's probably an indication. If they scream when you try and put something on them, it's probably an indication. You know, you kind of have to work these things out.
0: It's my sister, when she was the whole EHCP process, yeah. the question came up is, would you describe your home life as normal?
1: What on earth is that? And it's a whole is normal? Yeah.
0: So your senses, you said, do you have a sensory issue? It's like, well, no, because what I, everything is normal. Hmm. Everything I receive is what I think everyone else perceives. Yeah. So that every, what I, happens to me is everyone else happens. I've learned what happens with me isn't what everyone else happens. There's things I do, others don't. So, but it takes a while when it's, as you get older to maybe realise that. Absolutely. You can't do that as a child. Go. I've just realised that my sense is different to everyone else's. <laughs> no.
1: Because you don't understand how other people are perceiving their senses any more than they can understand how you're perceiving yours. And the thing that's really important for me is, is it's the filter through which we experience absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Yeah. So your perception is your reality. If you're perceiving things differently, it is a reality. We talked a little bit about hearing, and one of the examples I did really want to give you, and I'd forgotten at that point, was to tell you about a, a young man that uh, one of my colleagues told me about. They were doing some work with a, a young man who were teaching in maths. And he kept getting these sums wrong, and they couldn't work out why, because they were fairly sure that he had a, a reasonable understanding of how to do it. And he kept getting, writing the wrong answer down. And they eventually spoke to him. They said, well, what's going on? Why, why are you writing the wrong answer down? It turned out he was answering the questions from the maths class that was two classes over. His hearing was so acute, wow. he was hearing things from two classes over. So please, if you're ever talking about anybody, don't. Because they can probably hear you. Yes. You can't make that assumption that they can't hear you. You can always assume that you are going to be heard.
0: Some people can't filter out background noise. Absolutely. Some people are really good at doing it.
1: Yeah. So that's a top tip. <laughs> so go in, if you want to scream, go into a soundproof room and do it. Or go home. Just don't do not do it in front of other people. Use your car. <laughs> Cars are brilliant, actually, from a sound point of view. They're really brilliant because they're, they're dead. They're a dead environment from a sound point of view.
0: Um, the last sense, I think then. I've learned how to say it, it's, it's olfactory.
1: Oh, no, 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 that's smell.
0: Smell. That's, that's just smell. smell. So I'm learning. Um, you were doing so well. Hunger. I covered hunger.
1: Part of one that I'm about to tell you about. Yeah. See, it gives me all the right lines. Absolutely.
0: In our um, sensory and physical framework, we had a load of senses. Yeah. I've always big words, and I'm learning what they all are. It doesn't <laughs> sound great, but I'm still learning what they all are. And I said, I said it as olf- something. Isn't it? Olfactory. Yeah, I said it's it very smell. badly. And it was like. I don't know how you could say it, because now I know how to say it. But yes, I'm learning.
1: So, what we're talking about is interoception. So, interoception is the eighth sense. It's something we're, we're newly becoming familiar with. And it's basically the sense that describes what happens inside of your body and how you get those signals and understand them. So, it could be Am I hungry? It could be Am I tired? It could be Do I need to go to the toilet? And lots of people don't get those messages in the same way. So you'll find sometimes that if you have an autistic person who's really captivated by what they're doing, they will forget to eat. I know loads of people who forget to eat. If I'm really on a flow, in flow, and I'm writing something, you know, I can get to three o'clock in the afternoon, and I suddenly think, oh, rats, <laughs> I'm really hungry. And then they tip into getting hangry because actually their blood sugar level has crashed, yep. they haven't remembered to eat, they haven't remembered to drink, they desperately need to go to the loo, and they've suddenly realised it's got dark and they weren't paying attention. You know, all those things happen. So it's, it's a sense called interoception. There's a really fantastic piece of work that's currently being done by um, a Dr. Critchley in the University of Brighton. He's no relation. I really, really want to get in touch with him. So Dr. Critchley, if you are listening, I want to be in touch with you because I need to know more about this. And he's doing some work on whether having a better understanding of interoception affects levels of anxiety. Because I think it definitely will. And I think that would be really, really interesting in looking to develop an app that will help you to get that feedback so that you feel more safe and more secure.
0: I've got so so many questions on those uh, hypochondriacs. Mm. Is that they've just got a raised sense?
1: Yes. There's a the massive thing about pain being different as well. Can I was you just, about, please just talk be, about pain for a moment? say,
0: Is pain touch or is pain that when I have a headache or if I've got a stomach ache? Is that a pain or is that?
1: I think pain is multifactorial. So way back, pain way, 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 way back when.
0: Yeah. Go on. Pa- pain is probably the extreme of any sense.
1: Yes, but it is affected by your mental outlook. It's affected by your physio- physiological state. It's affected by what you know and expect. So there's some really interesting... Female. Yeah, well, we're probably not <laughs> going to go there. All right, we will go there, but not just yet. So there are things that will actually decrease your experience of pain. So any those of us who have had children and those of us who are fortunate enough to go through... Preparation with the National Childbirth Trust Um, will have been taught things like breathing exercises will have been taught that understanding what's about to happen will lower your stress response we will be taught that breathing slowly and low will lower your stress response the lovely Peter Vermeulen um, who works in Belgium actually came up with some information that was talking about how people's pain responses are lowered just by knowing what's going to happen yeah So being prepared for it makes you less anxious. So back to good practice for autistic people is good practice for everybody. If you're prepared, then it makes it more accessible and easy to cope with. So that's pretty much a good place to start. So that's just your eight senses, just to get you going. But it's kind of important. You may need to prompt people to eat. It's wonderful in schools. One of the wonderful things that schools do is they have this timetable that's predictable most of the time. Let's not talk Christmas or Easter, or end of term in the summer. But apart from that, things are generally very reliable and you get to eat regularly, you get to have a break regularly. But you might need to check that your young people actually go and eat and actually go and drink and actually go to the toilet and they may just need a bit more following up to make sure that's happening. But apart from that, it's really good structure. What happens in the holidays is it all goes to pot. And then these poor parents are sat there thinking, I don't know why they're kicking off because it's Christmas, because all the routine's gone, because the food's different, because no one's reminded them they need to eat. Maybe they got up later, maybe they're going to bed later, and then you've got to crank them back into that, and they're already anxious about going back into school. Welcome to the beginning of the school term. And that's just the parents and the teachers getting anxious.
0: So I'm just going to bring it back to school. There are things... That to you and me mean probably nothing, but Mm -hmm. to someone with autism is a big thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, in my nephew's school, they stopped the secondary school, they stopped the bell when it was lesson change. Yes. Stopped the bell when it was time to come in from break. Wonderful. And he used to use his mobile phone as a clock. They banned mobile phones. Oh, no. And he couldn't wear a watch. So, they kind of took every option he had away from him. And expected right. him to cope. Right. They There's also didn't an warn him that. of this. It was when he came home and couldn't cope. Oh, That's when my sister found out this had changed. Yeah. So it's things that you assume are just little things to you and me. Mm-hmm. To some people, that could be a really big thing.
1: There's a lovely autistic man I worked with who described how traumatic the school bell was for him. So he... The reason why they stopped the school bell and why I liked that is that that can be very traumatising. So if you're really um, concerned about sound and that is really traumatic for you, you know it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen in 40 minutes. You can be spending the whole of the lesson worrying about the fact that the damn thing's going to go off. Yep. And then when it goes off, you're then freaked about it and then you have to spend the next 20 minutes recovering from the fact that you've been freaked about it. And then is it any wonder that we don't get any work done?
0: Surely we could do a softer sound by now.
1: So there are. you don't have to have bells in schools there are alternatives and you can do visual things you could do a flashing light assuming that the flashing light was okay and didn't trigger anybody (laughs) from light or with autism but you know it's kind of there are alternatives and there is a whole world of things the really important message that one big take-home message is called reasonable adjustments if anybody has any form of disability they have to be offered reasonable adjustments. That means you have to make every reasonable attempt to allow them to function. So there's a particular example. My lovely girl, she of the uniform, has has a thing about sound and she used to use her headphones as part of her calm down routine at lunchtime. The school didn't allow headphones. It didn't allow phones. She had her headphones removed from her repeatedly until they just gave up. They just gave up taking them away because every time she got them back, what she'd do, she'd put her headphones in and she would walk around the entire school, just around the outside of the entire school as part of her calm down routine. Now, it wasn't officially a reasonable adjustment, but they kind of just gave in. So why not just say, this is something, okay, we see that you have a particular issue, we're going to help you with that, as opposed to it being something that she felt she was getting away with. And then she had all the other kids saying, why are you using those? We can't, we're not allowed to just say it's a reasonable adjustment.
0: It's hard. I think at schools, just to ma- for teachers to manage in secondly, for that number of children and yeah. make life easier. It's got to be really rigid and it's got to be conformity. But there are situations where you can make reasonable adjustments and it's also that it's educating for the children that sometimes for that person... Reasonable adjustment.
1: Yeah. So there's a whole philosophical thing about what's fair and the fact that equal isn't necessarily fair. So if somebody else needs something more to enable them to do the same, then that is fair, but that may not be equal treatment and you can teach children about that being a just and reasonable thing to do one wonderful school I knew of actually did a philosophy course for their kids so that they understood that some children had to be treated differently in order for things to be fair for them and that's fine and dandy it's just a reasonable way of doing it
0: I think you all think everyone should be treated fairly
1: fairly but not necessarily yes
0: and it's it's people that assume fair equals it means equal yeah um, and it's, that's, a, that's about another 12 podcasts just in that one topic. So well, I'm we going might to avoid come back to that. that. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to avoid <laughs> that. That might be another
1: day. So there are some specific things that I must talk to you about, about reasonable adjustments and other some really good ideas that might help yep, your listeners. I was about to
0: say, what tips can you give?
1: So um, if you think about reasonable adjustments, what you're thinking about is doing the sort of things that would enable a blind child to function. So if you had a blind child and they were using a cane, you wouldn't say they can't have that because otherwise... Everybody else needs one. You wouldn't say to a child who has a wheelchair that you're going to take the wheelchair away and make them run 100 metres. You know, a reasonable adjustment is enabling somebody to function. It's enabling them to learn. It is not giving them a leg up. It's not giving them an unfair advantage. It's just enabling them to do what everybody else can do. But
0: the problem with the two examples you've given is they're very visual. I know. So you'll see someone in a wheelchair and go, well, yes, he needs a wheelchair. Whereas you'll see someone with autism and go, I don't get why he needs that, he's normal, he's invisible and it's making people understand that the visible disability also needs its own adjustments.
1: Absolutely, a wonderful autistic guy I know, Steve McGinnis, who's a trustee for the National Autistic Society said autism was like falling over in his mind so just because you couldn't see it didn't mean it didn't exist and he still needed help for that. Which I really like. I thought that was really good. So there are some very easy adjustments you can make. One is you do a sensory profile with the child. And there's an example of that from the Autism Education Trust that we'll put in the show notes. That You can do a sensory audit of the school. And you can look around and there's some really easy things that you can do. So ideally, take someone autistic round with you because they will see things that you don't notice. They will experience things that you don't notice. And that makes a world of difference, preferably two or three. Yep. The nicest thing is to have a council of autistic people because then you get lots of different perspectives and you have to do the individual adjustments for each individual pupil. You can't say, I've done it for one, so that's it for everybody because that's not going to help. It's got to be individualised. And it's not always about money. Often it's about doing things slightly differently, making a tiny adjustment in the way that you do things, not about the actual cost. Yep. So that makes a huge difference. We've talked about uniform. You can offer things like um, break cards. So if anyone's becoming overwhelmed, if the sensory issues are too much, you can offer them a quiet place to be. Having um, games and clubs in the library is fantastic, somewhere quieter for people to be so they don't have to be out in the playground. Computer club has been a fantastic thing. Um, my boys' school did an amazing thing. He desperately wanted to do Dungeons and Dragons, and he struggled with social. So he lobbied them, he's pretty good at that, um, until they gave in and allowed him to do a and d club in the library. And so he set up this club, it was fantastic. Then they moved it the, from the library to one of their labs, because the sixth formers were doing their lab work there, because it was quieter and they were being picked on in the library, so they found somewhere quieter. He then got a group of lovely, interesting who he's still really close friends with because he was able to do that. And now they say they would vote him in as the leader because he has been running these campaigns since he was 12. You know, that cost the school nothing. It required no supervision. It was in a space they had already, and it made a world of difference, not just to him but the other boys who got to join in.
0: There's lots of little things. I've heard of schools where they allow certain pupils to enter the classroom early. Yep. So they don't have that big rush, putting their stuff in the locker with everyone else can just come in and they put their bag away. Yeah,
1: lockers are a thing. Yes, lockers are a thing. So lockers are a thing because they're usually in corridors. They're a thing because they're usually tiered, so you can have somebody dropping stuff on your head or trying to get come too close around your feet because they're in the one underneath. So that can be an issue if you put a locker in a quieter space or in a different room or if you have an additional learning support area that's quieter, often you can put a locker in there, and that can be helpful instead. So that's another thing that can help. Um, What else have we got? So we've got uniform... Oh, colours. There's a thing about colour theory. So um, I was listening to the amazing Professor Barry Carpenter, who's done lots of work on complex needs and disabilities, and done some really wonderful work on accessible schools, and he was involved in a PhD project project who supervised a PhD student who did some study into what colours are effective for autistic pupils and as in less arousing for all pupils and despite the fact that my favourite colour dear listeners is red and I'm wearing red right now that's the worst possible colour apparently (laughs) for most autistic students and the best colours are soft colours they tend to be softer colour grey or soft pink or a nice gentle purple
0: getting the pastels out
1: yeah it's just less arousing there's something also about displays so there's always this um, tension between having displays that are stimulating for all children and having displays that are just too much and overwhelming so if you have a low arousal approach you can still have things that will actually highlight nice work but you would put them in a display that has a border on it and you'd make sure that there aren't too many things that are dangling things that dangle flash sparkle or shine are either going to freak out or captivate your your autistic students so my lovely daughter again sorry that's another example of hers um wasn't very good at PE because she spent ages looking at the dust motes that were sparkling through the sunlight that came into the hall and of course she then missed the ball that was thrown to her because she was busy watching these dust motes just it she couldn't focus on them at all.
0: That took me straight back to assembly in primary school. Yeah, looking up and watching the dust. But it's, it comes down to um, with the rule with the borders around. You, it's basically rules based. Yeah. If there's a border around, it's display. And the spinning things, it's the unpredictability. Yes. When it's going to flash? Yes. When it's going to do this? When it's going to do that? Why is it spinning that way and not that way? What's causing? It? There's just so many things you could think about, which is just distracting.
1: Absolutely. And it's about meaning that the, the young person can actually learn. We're trying to get them into school so they can learn. And if they're distracted or upset, they can't.
0: Um, so you mentioned earlier the um, places where someone can go. Yep. So with my nephew it took a while to get there. Um, he used to have an uh, anxiety card. Yep. Because he didn't I want to those. stick his hand up and say, please, sir, uh, I'm not really in coping at the moment. Can I go? He, he, he just showed a card. Yeah. Had to be the right card. Couldn't be a paper card. Had to mm-hmm. be, a, but once you got the texture right, it was something he could then use just to sort of not draw attention. Yes. But just flag up, I'm not coping, and he could then go off, and go to the quiet area, which I think that works really well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's some really nice tools and tools for teachers from the Autism Education Trust, and they've got some really nice examples of timeout cards or time in. So if you want time with a special interest, you tend not to do that as much at school, but you might want that in break time or at lunchtime. Um, and they're an easy way of very subtly allowing a young person to leave. And as you get older, you don't want to stand out. You want to be exactly the same as everyone else and not have anything that's visible. So there are ways that you can do it quite subtly. Yeah. And teachers have to know that that's going to be something that they might need rather than sort of going and standing over somebody and saying, Oh, Johnny, do you need to go out because you're getting a bit frustrated? Yes well, yeah, I'm out of here.
0: <laughs> right. you, can, you can also use those cards. My nephew uh, will never ask questions. Ah, yes. So if you've just done a lovely spiel, although this isn't sensory, but a lovely spiel, all the stuff you want to do, and he's looking at you going, I have no idea what you're on about. He will never say that. He'll just sit there, hopefully ask a friend, who yeah. will just sit there quietly and do nothing. So just having another way where that child can actually just raise without drawing attention to himself, I'm not quite sure what to do. Hmm. So you can then go and ask... Right, and just cover it again. It's it's little adjustments. It's not expensive.
1: Yeah, and those of you who are really crafty and have Toblerone bars, boxes left over from Christmas, you can actually do a three-part one of those that says, I'm okay, I'm not sure, I need to ask somebody, and I need to get out of here. And you can put one of those on each side of it and colour code it, and then... Any pupil, all pupils can have this. So if all pupils have it, it's accessible for all. It's not kind of singling anybody no. out. It's what the whole class is using. And as a teacher at the front of the class, you can see, just by looking at the colours, where you need to provide extra help. And that's really useful.
0: There's lots of things I've heard about people. They've, they're have they not confident, they're not happy, but they don't want to stick their hand up and yeah. raise tension. So yeah. any way you can allow someone to raise a concern or raise anything in a subtle way which doesn't draw attention is only going to benefit.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So again, it's one of those simple things that actually cost nothing. But the other thing that might be really helpful, is that I just need to talk to you a little bit about sensory rooms. I've got, got a thing about sensory rooms. So sensory rooms can be absolutely marvellous. They're a wonderful resource if you have the space and the money and you know what you're doing with them. I would highly recommend the work of the lovely Joanna Grace, um, who's done some work on some research on how sensory rooms are used. The issue is that sensory adjustments have to work for the individual pupil. So having a room that has nice lights and a ball pit and maybe a soft crash mat may look good, but it might not actually be what that young person needs. And if you provide it for one young person and then you get another autistic pupil or another pupil who needs a sensory adjustment, that might not actually fit them. So it's what is it you're trying to do and how can you solve that particular need? It has to be bespoken. You have to just think it through. And thinking it through means talking to the young person themselves. It means talking to their parent or carer, the person who knows them best. And it means looking at the environment that you're putting them in and thinking about what particular challenges that might give them. And if in doubt, ask an autistic person because they'll tell you first.
0: So... Um I've seen lots of sensory walks in schools that mm. have gone around, and I've seen stuff sort of along the sides of corridors so you can just feel your way around mm. the school. Does, does that do a similar job to a sensory room, or is that a specific thing you'll go and do? Because to me, that makes it, if someone's like the stimulus, physical stimulus, they can walk along and feel and be stimulated.
1: I really like that. I think that's a much better idea. So I have an issue about shutting people into any particular space um, because. It has been misused, and there have been lots of children who've been basically abused by being locked into stationary cupboards and not let out, and and that just raises all sorts of red flags for me in terms of well-being and safeguarding. And there are spaces where you might want somebody to be able to release tension safely. That's a different thing. That's not the same thing for me as a sensory room. So I much prefer something where you can go to something to experience what you want, and leave as you choose. So that's putting the responsibility on the individual and the choice onto the individual, and they can do what they need, which is really what we're trying to get to, because they're going, children are going to grow up into adults. They're going to have fundamentally the same sensory profile. They're going to need to learn how to make those adaptations for themselves in a way that is socially appropriate. So if you think of somebody who has a... Uh, a touch sensitivity who loves a particular fabric um, there was one example of a, a young man who loved ladies tights and he would touch the leg of his TA because she wore tights now that's cute in infant school it's cute in nursery it's really not cute in secondary and it's arrestable in adulthood so for him what we would suggest is giving him that material to be able to hold in his hand, to put in his pocket. You know, he can still feel that, but he's not going to get into trouble for that. Yeah. So it's finding ways of accommodating that sensory need in a way that is not going to leave a vulnerability for the future.
0: And it's also probably not misunderstanding. He's not touching legs.
1: Which he's is generally a bad thing.
0: Material. Yes, absolutely. And that's a, that's a very big difference. Yes. And it's understanding that he's not grabbing her leg yep. it's her leg. Yep. He's grabbing material. Exactly. And that needs to be aware. Now... I think you said sensory is huge. Lots of people have sensory issues. Yep. And one of the things I was just thinking about is how widespread it is. is uh, when we all go home and relax. Mm. So uh, you might be a pyjama person.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You might be uh, a blanket on the sofa person. Um, and then you'll get your favourite drink. Yes. It might be a hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. It might be a Prosecco. <laughs> but generally what you're going for is sensory input. Yeah, you're going for a soft blanket. You're going for your favourite sofa, which makes you calm. You've got that drink, which just make it all, it's all designed to make you calm. So therefore, if we're all ha- creatures of habit and going into these routines at home, then that tells us how much senses are impacting us. Mm. So for those with sensory issues, it's going to be a big, and big. But how sort of what percentage of people have sort of sensory needs?
1: we honestly don't know we honestly don't know because a lot of people haven't even been investigated and i think if you have anybody who you're beginning to see that there are things that are causing you concern or you think that they're behaving in a way where they're really uncomfortable in their own skin then it's worth asking for a specialist ot referral an occupational therapy referral because they're the experts in sensory they're the best people to talk to and they'll actually also give you a whole set of recommendations to do at home or at school which can be really really helpful But I think actually that sensory issues are the one thing that is least understood and least well accommodated in general life. And I think we would all be a lot calmer if we actually did our nice soft blanket, nice hot chocolate on the sofa, in our PJs, or whatever our particular version of that is.
0: I suppose a lot of that sensory is really linked to anxiety, isn't it? Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Huge links. Um, Yes, a feeling something calms you, that anxiety. Yes. Um, and if you can't get that sense, your anxiety is going to go through the roof. You're not going to be relaxed. Um, and that's when things won't go well.
1: Yeah, fantastic autistic woman who I coach. And um, we'd been working together for a while and we were talking about sensory issues. We did a profile and we were talking about the fact she's sound sensitive. And she got a pair of noise-dependent headphones. We've talked about particular brands that we might recommend. Um, and she tried, bought some of those as a special treat for the first time. And she put those on and went out in public. And she actually felt that she could breathe for the first time. She hadn't realised what a relief it was. She just kind of went... (sighs) "Ah," And it meant that she could cope with going out for a shopping trip. And she was so severely impacted. She couldn't go out in public. She struggled to leave her house. And this was a really world, life-changing thing for her. And it's so simple. It's so simple, but we just don't realise that it could happen.
0: I'm, I'm a big advocate for uh, noise-cancelling headphones. I, um, we've got a number of schools in Scotland. Yeah. And I'm not going to drive all that way, so I fly up. Yeah, But um, flying is noisy. Mm. The airport noisy. And I consider myself to be neurotypical, but the more I talk to experts, the more I'm not sure I am. Um, but I get out of my car at the airport and I put my noise-cancelling headphones on. I put my music in. Um, and I'm relaxed. Mm. And it's only after a few of these trips that I've realised that I get to the other end completely relaxed. I've checked baggage in. Mm. I've collected baggage. I've queued up getting on the plane. I've sat next to big people, noisy people, elbowers, the lot. People eating apples. Pe- people eating noisy crisps. <laughs> um, and I get to the other end and I'm really calm. Yeah. And I found that. And the other thing, I um, um at Christmas... I went and did the Christmas shop, the food shop, on the 23rd December.
1: Are you mad?
0: No, because I had my noise-cancelling headphones on. Oh. It was, I strolled round on my own, don't take anyone with you, go on your own with noise-cancelling headphones on with your music on.
1: Yeah.
0: And it was fun because I was looking at kids who were obviously more or less screaming, not happy, mm. and I couldn't hear it because I had my music on. Oh. And it was like I was in a bubble of calm. Yes, And the whole world around me was apparently jolly for Christmas, but not in that supermarket. (laughs) Um, It was just really, again, you can just make this bubble of calm. And again, if I'm neurotypical, and that's making my life Mm. easier and better, then I'm going to recommend it to everyone. But if you can't cope with that, just to think about how every situation is just hard to cope with.
1: Yeah. So what we often see is what we euphemistically term behaviour when actually it's a lack of adjustment. Yes. And if you are struggling with that and you're struggling with that again and again and again, you are going to really kick off in some way or other because it's just impossible. And if you're not doing that, then what happens is you'll internalise it and you'll suffer from other health issues as a result of just having that ongoing stress and anxiety. And it's toxic. It's not good.
0: One of the things... um I was talking to someone recently, and it was like um, when someone's having that freak out, they're having that meltdown. Um, and then she was saying that she then watched two or three people go and try and talk to that person.
1: Oh, no, really?
0: problem is that person had a freak out because they were overloaded. Yeah. Then having three people talk to them was still keeping that arousal yeah. really high.
1: Yeah.
0: And they weren't having that chance to calm down. And it's, it's realising that you're trying to help. Sometimes it's just taking that step back or making sure there's only one person. Yes. Just calmly. Um, there's somebody I know um, at a party. Mm. He, they had autism. Um, music was on. Everything was good. The smoke machine came on. Everything was good. And then the fire alarm went off. Oh, no. Um, but their parents weren't there. Mm. So I had the choice of he was trying to, he was just not coping. He mm. was having a meltdown. It's like, well, I can't take you outside cause you'll just go and run.
1: Yeah.
0: But you're sec- and uh I can't take you to the uh, entrance hall cuz the fire alarm's just going off in there. Yeah. Um and he was and I literally just had to say to him, I need you to take my hand and then I can take you outside. Yeah. But you have to hold my hand the whole time. And he was just saying it calmly and just put my hand there and it took him a while but he obviously processed what his options were. Yeah. And took my hand we walked outside and we sat outside where it was quiet and he understood that he had to hold my hand and his mum showed up. And it was, but it was making sure it was just giving him options. Brilliant. Which is always a good thing. Yes. Um And presenting that information calmly and not rushing him.
1: Calm, low and slow. Yes. Works like a treat. Did.
0: And it was really amazing. So I, I, I've not been in that situation mm. before, but I've been to lots of schools. I've read about it. I've heard about all these stories and... It really helped him. It was a really positive experience for me, just seeing how he's freaking out, but he is there underneath that freak out. Absolutely. He is there, hidden in that ball, and he was able to take that information in and make a decision and move on. But it had to be at his speed.
1: Definitely. That's a brilliant example. I love that one. Can I steal that one and use this in other (laughs) companies?
0: Share it widely. I've only got about two or three of those, but yeah, that was one which... It really, yeah, it was really apparent to me. Mm. Um, so I think we're kind of wrapped up, coming to the end of the episode. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up?
1: So the final thing was just to think about the long-term effects of not supporting sensory, and often what happens is that that will tip into illness, and it can tip into school refusal. So I, for me. If you're ever going to try and help somebody who is suffering from issues of any sort or especially if they're autistic, I would start with sensory and go there first because that's actually a really easy one to solve and to kind of get lots of accommodations in place that will enable them to have control and reduce the concern. And if you're able to do that, it makes a better environment for everybody. So why would you not do that?
0: And as with the sensory, it's not something that will when they finish school. sensory nope. has gone. That's them with them for life. Yep. So it's making sure they're almost aware of their own sensory needs.
1: Absolutely. So
0: they know when they're responsible for themselves. Yeah. They know to make the same adaptations and the same use the same strategies themselves.
1: Absolutely. So it's a really important one to do, and it's one of the things we talk about a lot. And it helps people. It's just—it's like a miracle. It's like the suns come out when you really uh, realize that that's what it is, and you think, oh, so that's how I make that accommodation. That's how I cope." And if I'm really struggling, this is what I do. And it's just like having lots of things in your toolkit, so you know how to cope with it, like magic.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show today, Sarah Jane. It's been
1: lovely. Thank you for having me. And thank you for to everybody out there listening. It's I've your opportunity to make a difference.
0: A few more senses. I've still got loads of other questions around that. <laughs> um, we'll be putting all everything we've mentioned uh, and all the links and some other stuff in our show notes. So, the useful tools from the AET and also Sarah Jane's created some tools which are on her website. Have,
1: yes, so if you're an adult, I have a specific toolkit. So, I couldn't, I struggled to find a sensible um, checklist and management tool for adults. So this is one that enables an adult to go through and to identify where they have sensory issues and to identify what they currently do and then to plan what they might like to do differently. So, Because lots of the people that I work with and coach have that as a particular issue.
0: So that will also be in the show notes. And if you'd like to contact uh, Sarah Jane, uh, we'll be putting her email address uh, in the show notes. But you can also find uh, Sarah Jane on Twitter, which is at Sarah Jane Critch.
1: That's, That's
0: right. C-R-I-T-C-H. Uh, she also has a Facebook page, which is a uh, different joy. Um, she's also on Pinterest with, is that Sarah Jane Critch again? Yep. And Instagram, this time Sarah Jane Critch Lee.
1: I'm as Just everywhere it up. I can possibly get.
0: So you'll find Sarah Jane somewhere. <laughs> um, so, And I'll also put all those uh, that information in the show notes. Um, So thank you for listening to the show. Uh, If you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you can subscribe by going to our website. You can also go to the various different uh, podcasting apps and subscribe. Um, You can sign up on our website for our newsletter to keep up with the latest news. Um, And alternatively, you can follow us on Twitter, at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. And on Instagram, The Sendcast. I was quick to grab all of those. Um, And on LinkedIn, strangely enough, You search for Sendcast. It doesn't like the the. Um, But you can reach us on all of those um, and get in touch. uh, And please share this uh, podcast with everyone. Uh, There's going to be lots of benefit uh, over the years coming, um, which will be really good to share with as many people as possible because it's a really good way of sharing knowledge. Um, And if you want to get in touch with us, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics or anything else, please send an email to hello at the sendcast.com. Um, and if you've enjoyed the SENDcast, why not look into the virtual SEND conference? This is a conference uh, we started running uh, in 2019. Uh, we thought conferences should be done differently. Um, most conferences happen in London and various other places, but generally if you're in the outer reaches of the country or if you're an international school, you're not going to be able to access them. So we run our conference over the internet. Uh, we have 12 sessions at each conference, really uh key topics. So we find out from uh, previous delegates and researching across the internet what topics people want to hear about. And we find experts to talk about those topics and we put those in our conference. Um, So we run them in March and November, um, but because they are web-based, you can access them whenever you want. So if you've purchased tickets already, you can watch those videos as much as you want, whenever you want. If you haven't purchased tickets already, You can purchase access and start watching the video straight away. So you do not have to wait for the next conference. So the tickets cost £60 for the entire school, not per teacher. So really good, uh, affordable CPD. Um, And as a listener to the Sendcast, we are offering you a 10% discount just by using the discount code SENDCAST10. So that's SENDCAST10. Um, Thank you for listening to the podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Send Cast. So goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.
1: Goodbye.